if you don't have enough information to give away free information, then you're not even knowledgeable enough to be an expert in what you're doing. Welcome to the I Make a Living podcast brought to you by FreshBooks. If you're an entrepreneur, freelancer, side hustler, big thinker, or just a straight up dreamer, then this is your show. Today, we need to start out with some real talk. Here's the truth. It's time to get serious about social media. Your online audience has unlimited potential for your business and beyond. Today, I'm talking to social media aficionado and aesthetician Nayamka Robert-Smith, who has harnessed the power of Twitter and YouTube to position herself at the forefront of LA's competitive skincare market and launch her own merch business. To her audience, she's known as the LA Beautyologist, or Nye, the internet's esthetician. To major beauty and skincare brands, including Rihanna's Fenty Beauty, she's known as the go-to influencer to market a product and sell a story the right way. Here's Nye on how she makes a living. I am a esthetician by trade license. Um, I'm also an entrepreneur and a social media skincare educator, influencer. But esthetician is what my license is in and where I draw all of my knowledge from to begin with. (laughs) And let's just give the folks at home a little peek behind the curtain. For those who don't know what an esthetician is, can you explain it in lay terms? Yes. An esthetician is a licensed skincare professional. We're not dermatologists, but we are licensed to do facials. We're licensed to do waxing, uh, body treatments, body scrubs. When you go to a spa um, and you get a facial, you see an esthetician. Estheticians also work, sometimes they'll work for brands, products. They do product knowledge. They educate. We report to the cosmetic and barbering association. So there's hairstylists, cosmetologists, estheticians, massage therapists, nail techs, all under similar umbrella. And I hear that the beauty business sort of runs in your family. It does. My mom is also a licensed cosmetologist. She worked full time as a legal assistant, but she did a lot of like my friend's hair. She did a lot of co-workers hair, co-workers daughter's hair. There's always people coming in and out of the house. My mom was doing their hair. (laughs) I don't know if people really paid her to do hair, but she just loved doing it. She decided to get her license mostly to learn, you know, more about hair to help us with our hair. And she said it paid off. So it did give me a peek in what it was like to be a beauty professional, but more in the communal sense, because I think for black people specifically, hair feels very cultural and it feels very communal and like you're taking care of each other. So that was really what first drew me to just beauty in general. I just used to play with her nail stuff. She didn't really care. And I would do nails for myself. I would do my friend's nails. So I started doing nails in the same capacity that she did hair, just for friends. And, you know, when people are going out and it brought you closer to them in like ways making them feel good, um, those kind of things. So tell me about Nye's Nails, how that get started. Oh, nice nails was my nail business before I was a licensed nail tech. <laughs> um, I used to do nails. I had a nail salon business out of my dorm room. I 
took my desk and I made it my nail desk. And I had like all the nail polishes on the wall, like a real nail salon. I had business cards. I had a Facebook page that you can probably still find. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's, it's there somewhere. And I used my friends, my roommates as models, like for their hands. So, you know, I was in college and everyone's broke. So I would do manicures for like $5. I'd wax eyebrows for like $3. I had a price list on the door. I got pretty popular. It got to the point where people were walking by the door and saying, Oh, nice nails. This is where she lives. Oh, I heard about her. Like people on campus knew we all had, I had a little group of friends who all kind of did beauty services. I had a friend who was a barber and a couple of other friends who did hair and we all kind of would exchange services. My friends would walk around. I would like, can I borrow your hands? So like I would do my little designs and they'd go to class and people would ask them, Oh, who does your nails? They'd be like, Oh, my roommate. And they had, they'd have <laughs> my card and they'd hand it to them. Like, Oh, come visit <laughs> early word of mouth marketing for real Oh yeah it's still it's still number one (laughs) let's fast forward a little bit because you expanded beyond nails you decided to get your esthetician certificate and then you came to LA I did I did I had dropped out of college and I started doing nails professionally it was kind of like a placeholder for me I was good at nails I liked doing it my clientele was really booked out everyone loved me and I felt kind of stifled in that. Like I wanted to be an esthetician. I didn't really want to be a nail tech anymore. They weren't really willing to help me transition into being an esthetician because they didn't need me as an esthetician. They had eight other estheticians. So I'm like, okay, where can I be an esthetician? How am I going to do this? So at first I thought that I wanted to work on a cruise ship and just travel as an esthetician. I was like, that would be fun. (laughs) But in that, I also realized that aesthetics the biggest industries for aesthetics are going to be really like beautiful, amazing places to be. Jamaica, Hawaii, Miami, LA, those type of places are like the big spa industry, tourism type places. And I was like, I'm, I'm moving to LA. I'm going to be an esthetician in LA. From a um, business market perspective, I'm actually curious. I live in LA too. Was it what you imagine it would be when you were like, there's a market for my business here? Was it actually what you thought before you came? No, it wasn't. In positive and negative ways. I knew it would be hard. I knew it would be hard to get where I wanted to and get the respect that I wanted to and grow my business and grow my career. But I didn't realize how broke I would be in the process. (laughs) Um, That was one of the things. But in a positive way, I remember um, one of the first days like one of the first weeks I had moved to LA and I was just wandering around like Melrose and La Cienega and I was standing there and I could see like three or four spas just from like where I was standing. And I'm like, this is a huge busy street in the middle of, you know, we're almost, we're close to Beverly Hills. We're in West Hollywood. If three, four places just in my eyesight can make it, then like I can do this. Like there is enough people here. There is enough demand here that I can do it. And that's great to hear also that you saw that as a sign that you were in the right place rather than a sign that there's too much competition out there. But I mean, in a relatively short period of time now, you've been able to really carve this niche for yourself as LA beautyologist and really serving a community that a broader community, not even, even though you're based here in LA, you serve thousands of people with the videos you do and the advice you give on various social platforms. Was that strategic? 
Yes. <laughs> yes, it was. Typically, when you become like an esthetician or a beauty professional, I think just maybe like a service-based business, some of your first clients are going to be, it's, you know, word of mouth is the biggest way to spread clients. So it's going to be family friends, friends of family, the random person that you went to college with that you didn't really talk to, but they see you on Facebook, those type of people. But when I moved to LA, I didn't have any of those people. I didn't know anyone. So I knew that I had to reach people who weren't just in front of me. So when I I started my YouTube, right when I moved to LA, my first video was filmed in my parents' backyard. My second video is filmed in LA. So like right when I moved, I launched my YouTube. I had been on Twitter for some time, but I was I became intentional about speaking only about skincare things and beauty related things right when I moved also. Same with Instagram. I, I that's when I like mentally I was like, okay, I'm trying to create a brand. Let me move in that direction. Being on social media by far has completely advanced and changed my career trajectory. I imagine also as you're building, you need to get the word out somehow about your business, but it's not easy to start a YouTube channel. It's not just like, oh, well, I'll just, you know, throw some videos out there and I'll be famous in no time and my phone will be ringing off the hook. It really does take a bit of an a strategic and analytical approach. So I'd love to hear a little bit more about the way that you saw yourself building your audience and building your client base. And also like you're giving away a lot of great free advice. And so giving so much away for free, do people then want to pay for a service that's going to ultimately cost a lot more than your free advice? That's a very good question. And I think that's something that a lot of business owners are like afraid of, at least when I started Because I think now people have realized that giving away free advice can be very helpful and, you know, creates a sales funnel. But at the time, it was like, that was what people paid you for. They paid you for your advice as an esthetician. No one wanted to get those words, get your expertise out of the treatment room, because how would you get them into a treatment room without this knowledge? So I remember I learned this from Maya Elios. She helps like uh, entrepreneurs like grow their business. Um, And she said something regarding if you don't have enough information to give away free information, then you're not even knowledgeable enough to be an expert in what you're doing. Dang. And I was like, yeah, that's true. That's true. (laughs) So even with all of the information that I give away, that's still only 10% of my knowledge and my benefit, you know, but I really had to do a lot of work on my own back end, reading and researching and learning and listening and practicing to be good enough that it's not scary to tell you all of these things because I still know more and I'm still very talented at what I do. As I grow, I'm always trying to think just how would I talk to like my friends about this? How would I help that one person. You know, I'm not trying to get everybody. I'm just trying to get whoever needs it on this level. I'm like, what do people need immediately around me? Or what is the most recent thing that I learned like a year ago? I can start with what I learned a year ago, because even though there's people who know a lot about skincare, there's also people who are where I was a year ago. And how can I help those people? Mm, That makes a lot of sense. You used a word a moment ago that I think is really important 
that gets glossed over. I'm actually not sure how much we've talked about it on this show. And I don't think at the beginning of starting my business, I even knew what it was. And that was sales funnel. Mm -hmm. Can you talk to me about what your sales funnel is today? And has it changed from your offering maybe when you started your channel five years ago? Yes. Because when I first started, I would put my services on YouTube. That was where I kind of like show people treatments. I talk about what those treatments did. Um, I thought that really helped break down the wall of like, oh, I'm scared to do this thing to my face. What if it goes bad? Um, you know, you get to talk to me and make people feel like they know me. So there's a point where 45% of my sales came from YouTube because I would show a treatment video and say, if you're in LA, book a treatment with me. So that was the sales funnel. It's very simple. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah. here's a video click this link to book. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Very direct. <laughs> I would do the same on, on Twitter. So I just talk about skincare things. Twitter really helped build my platform a lot because you can communicate directly with people. They ask me a question. I start to see a lot of the same question. I make a YouTube video about it. I link people back to the YouTube video. I explain the YouTube video, that kind of thing. So I worked back and forth, back and forth, Twitter, YouTube, Twitter, YouTube, even early on when I didn't have any clients here in LA, I would look at my um, analytics and see where I had the most followers. It was usually New York, Atlanta was pretty big. And I would go there and I'd do facials, I'd do facial pop-ups. So when I didn't have clients in LA, I would just go to where I did. I had people. All I needed was like 15 people to make it worth the trip, to give me the practice, to give me the um, again, word of mouth. So now I have people in New York talking about me and people in Houston talking about me because these are all places that I've been when I didn't have clients here, you know, to really connect with people and spread my business and spread my knowledge and things like that. So, you know, all these people who've been following me for the last, you know, few months have been like, oh, she's finally in Miami. I love her skincare advice. I want to get a facial with her. So that was really, really game changing for me. Nye is unbelievably effective at social media marketing. Let's review why Nye's strategy is so genius. One, she's expanding her earning potential beyond her immediate geographic location in a field that's usually location dependent. Two, she's using a very simple foolproof sales funnel. Three, she's creating inherent scarcity to move those clients into buying now. All of this experience was what saved Nye's business when COVID forced her into a major pivot. Well, now most of my money comes from like brand deals and retail sales because I don't have my spa <laughs> anymore because of COVID. I closed it last year, August. Unless someone's buying merch from me, I don't really have a, a skincare offering necessarily. Like I currently not selling skincare. I'm working on opening up my spa again now that, you know, we're getting to a better place in the world. That is coming back, but I really had to pivot last year into dealing more with brands and selling physical merch. That must have been a really tough year for you to have to completely rethink your model. It was very difficult, but the way that I chose to build my brand was based on longevity. You know, I never wanted to be like quick. I always want, I saw a longer vision in my brand. So the pivot 
almost felt very natural. It was like, oh, I can do this because I still have all these people. I still have this community around me. My retail merch, it's clothing associated with skincare. So robes, headbands, turbans, towels, that kind of thing. I'm still talking to the same people and they still want these same things, whether it's skincare information, whether it's something that helps their skin routine. Yeah, it all you know, comes together. It's a great pairing, the two, the information and the stuff. (laughs) I know you, you've been in a lot of different publications and you mentioned that you've also been working with brands a lot this year. I'm sure a lot of our listeners right now are like, how do I get that? I want to have brands following me and I want to have brands reaching out. Did most of those partnerships come about from, were they self-generated? Were they from you pitching the brand or the other way around? Other way around. A lot of the brands came to me and I should be pitching more. (laughs) But luckily that side of my business is doing really well. I think that really comes from me just being very vocal and in the forefront of my industry um, and being very innovative. And brands like the way that I communicate skincare information. They find that I tell their stories sometimes or talk about the products better than there people do. So they're like, well, you help us talk about this thing. And I'm like, I'd love to help you talk about the thing. But I think it's that I have a very authentic voice and I make complicated things sound a lot more simple and I have a very engaged audience because I just talk directly to them. When I, when I think about my brand voice and how I speak on social media, I'm trying to just talk to my friends. Like, how would I explain this to a coworker? How would I explain it to like the guy at the mall? So just from the business and strategic side, as you are deciding that it's necessary to close the doors of your brick and mortar business, you mentioned that you're in this business for longevity. So I'm curious to know, considering that COVID, you know, things are opening up, but when you look to the future, how do you see the next phase of your brand and your business? So that's a great question because when I first started, when I was in school for aesthetics, we were just coming out of the recession. It was like 2011, 2012. And it was, it was a big deal. We talked about it a lot on the business side in school that aesthetics, beauty is a recession-proof industry. Aesthetics, skincare, nails, hair didn't tank so much as an industry as all the other industries did. They had a graph. Aesthetics was pretty steady. Everything kind of like went down. It dipped a little bit, but it was good. I was like, okay, I can do this. You know, this, this industry is growing. I really need to, you know, think long and think forward because you can really do a thing in this space. But then the pandemic hit and I was like, wow, what do you do when you don't have facials? You know, like I no longer have the service that I can do. It's not a pandemic safe industry (laughs) by any means. That really helped me buckle down on the social aspect of it. I use social to grow, but also you can use social nearly exclusively. You don't really need um, a location. You can do virtual consultations. Um, You can give skincare information. Um, Skincare has bloomed as an industry so big where you can pay for having skincare conversations and discussions. You know, the industry is big enough where you can be creative and do those kind of things. So it really helped me. I'm like, 
looking outside of the box and to see how you can even, even in this new normal, blend both virtual and physical treatments. How you can, you know, allow people to interact with skincare without being there with people in person. I played a lot with it on social media before, but now all of those times when I was kind of just playing around really paid off for me <laughs> and um, really made it made me realize that you could just go all in on that. Yeah. I, I recently did a really cool brand partnership with Target and Twitter. And we did like a choose your own skincare routine where I, I said, this is my skin type. I have these two products. Which one should I use? This cleanser or this cleanser? And then later on in the thread, do you, should I use this serum or this serum? Remember, this is my skin type and this is what I do. So people get to interact with these products. I'm teaching them. And then later on in the week, I did the routine um, that people chose for me. And you're like, look, you missed me up. <laughs> no, right? <laughs> I'm sure they could only choose right. <laughs> I really am kind of like, please. Well, right. I didn't give any options that would have any adverse effects. But right. <laughs> um, but yeah, that was that was really fun. And I was like, I would love to see brands really utilize that aspect of like creating community around um, their products and around what they're talking about and things like that. One last question. As a woman of color, I can say that I was not really spoken to much about skincare. I literally, maybe one of the best things to come out of the pandemic for me is that I actually developed a skincare routine because I swear I did not have one before. And I wonder how much as a woman of color yourself, if you feel like there's also something of a need in the market for someone of color to speak to other people with their same experience that understand. Cause I just, you know, I find so many times I do a lot of television and a lot of times people don't like makeup artists don't know what to do with my skin tone. They don't know what to do with my hair. <laughs> and it's just been kind of a lifelong journey of having to figure out what works for me. Yeah, definitely. There's a huge huge gap in the industry in that regard. Uh, when I started, that was a huge part of my mission. Um, when I went to aesthetic school, there were very few women of color who went to the school. I was one of the few people, if any, with um, a darker skin type. And as it pertains to skincare, that's actually very important in the treatment room um, that you're able to work with different skin tones, um, how they react to the sun, how they react to certain products, what treatments you can and can't do. Um, the color of your skin is very important in determining, you know, what treatments can be done. So I felt empowered when I went to school, even though I was one of the only women of color, because I felt like my presence made the other estheticians around me better estheticians. And I kind of took that with me just in my journey in general, where instead of feeling negatively that I may be new to this space or that a lot of things don't cater to me, I decided to use that to fill the space. You know, like I'm here now <laughs> um, and I'm here to help. I'm here to benefit you. I'm here to fill in a gap that you didn't realize was here before. Um, I'm here to talk to people who weren't spoken to before. Um, I'm here to address issues that weren't addressed before. And we're still getting there. But I, I definitely think that the industry is a lot better for their, their growth in the direction of listening to women of color as it pertains to skincare. Yeah. And I think overall, it's uh, also reminding 
a lot of these brands that there's there's a market that has been completely ignored that could add a lot to your bottom line yeah, if you are willing so. to see it. So mm-hmm. thank you for all the work that you do. And thank you for sharing your story with us. Thank you. I love you having me here. Nye is proof that social media marketing can work if you know your voice and you know who needs to hear it. Don't forget, this Thursday, we'll publish Nye's Nerdisode on how to build a big and engaged audience on social media. Here's what we learned from Nye today. If you have knowledge to share, give it freely on social media. Sharing your wisdom can lead to more customers and opportunities. Sometimes hobbies make great career starters. What's your Nye's Nails? Social media is conversational. Interact with your followers like they're your friends to better communicate your message. Find more from Nye on social at LA Beautyologist on all of your favorite platforms. The I Make a Living podcast is brought to you by FreshBooks. Balancing your books, client relationships, and business isn't easy. FreshBooks gives you the info and time you need to focus on your big picture, your business, team, and clients. Right now, you can go to freshbooks.com slash podcast and take advantage of an exclusive offer that's just for you, our listeners. And while you're at it, check out all of the resources that we've made available to you through our show notes. Our executive producer is Francisco Erzmendi. Editorial and content producer is Leo Shell Villanueva. Our audio engineer and composer is James Morris. And I'm Damona Hoffman, producer and host. Follow me at Damona Hoffman and FreshBooks at FreshBooks on all of the social platforms for more tips, tools, and resources because it's your business. See you on Thursday.